to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Yo, 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 yo. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. So I usually play the bass and I get to hide from being nervous and I just start shaking my head and then it's all good. But I can't do that right now. But if you do see me shake my head, it's because I'm trying to shake the nerves off. Um, real quick, my name is Chris Cadogan. I've been here at City Life for the past five years. Um, my wife, Stacy Cadogan, beautiful wife, she's been serving on the uh, young kids team. And so if you ever got some little kids and you dropped her off, you might have seen them. I have two daughters, Noelle and Estelle. Um, they are always running around and stuff like that. Uh, so if you see me running after some kids on stage, um, those are my daughters. Um, and again, as I just stated, I'm usually the guy in the back that plays the bass, just doing way too much. Because um, the thing is, I love to worship. I love to worship. It's my happy place. I come to church. I act like a goofball all the time because I just love this stuff. And it's beautiful. Today, I'm going to worship in a different way, though. At the beginning of the summer, uh, Pastor Jerome asked me if I could do a sermon, and I said, all right, um, I guess so. Um, just real talk, um, I've, been, I've done sermons before, um, but when I came to City Life, I kind of came kind of intentionally recognizing that I needed some time to work on self, um, and so I've been chilling in the background for about five years, and so I, I think it's time for me to be able to serve the body in this way, and it's a privilege and an honor to do so. So, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Listen, I, I was telling somebody, I need the first church energy. Anybody who's come to City Life, we know first church, we operate in a little different modes, so I'm going to need you all to give me some energy today, all right? So the call and response stuff is going to be on 10 today. Um, but hey, last week, the pastor did some really amazing stuff. Um, one of the things he did was he told everybody to go ahead and stand for the reading of the scriptures. Can you guys go ahead and stand up for me real quick? Um, just some context about why we do this. Um, it's kind of out of this idea that the Bible is the word of God. If God gave you anything, you should look at it in reverence. So he gave us his scriptures. So that's why we stand. So I'm going to go ahead and read um, the verse for you. If you can put that up there. It's from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25, all the way through, and then I added in a little bit Ephesians 5. Here we go. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, amen, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Here we go, five. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, 
and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Amen. We're going to go ahead and pray real quick. Stay standing. Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. We thank you that you've given us your word, Lord. It's a complex text, but nonetheless, you gave us something to wrestle with in those times where it gets difficult, Lord. Last year was really difficult, and we had that Bible, and we had, most importantly, your presence. We pray for that same presence today, Lord, as we get ready to gather and rally around your word in anticipation of Love the City Week. And the church said, amen. amen. Oh, wow, you guys are on cue today. Go ahead and take a seat. All right, folks, I want to go ahead and start off with a quick outline. I'm going to set up for you guys where I want to go um, with the sermon, just so you can follow me, because I am a little random and I jump all over the place. Um, but if I set out an outline, you'll be able to follow me. Here we go. Um, as a church, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. And as the pastor said um, last week, one of the biggest themes is that we are in part of the family of God. Our identity is that. And God loves us so much that neither height nor depth or anything in this world can separate us from that. I want to continue in that theme today. We're going to go through Ephesians 4. I'm going to switch up the metaphor a little bit, though. Um, one of the things I love is music. So I'm going to change the metaphor to reflect that passion. And this way, we're going to be talking about reconciliation. Everybody say Reconciliation. Reconciliation, I think we've got, we got a definition for it. It means this, to restore to friendship or harmony, to reunite or to bring back together. Today I'm going to use a metaphor of a song to basically say this. Ephesians 4 is about God singing a song of reconciliation to his church and to the world. The other part is this, God invites us to come up on the stage. You ain't been to one of these concerts before. Come up on the stage, grab an instrument, and join with him in singing that song. Let us do that today. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and organize our talk into three different sections today. The sections I'm calling a reflection. Reflection one, I've titled, the band is back together. That's just about Ephesians 1 through 3. We're going to do a review. We're going to talk about how God has called um, the world to reconciliation, how reconciliation is a gospel issue. Then reflection number two is joining the song. That's us. How do we participate in that ministry? And then Ephesians or reflection three is just about how does this impact how we view love the city? And I want to say this about reflections. Um, these reflections are from my reading of the scriptures, um, but they're also not me. Um, I read. Um, there are a couple of authors, uh, theologians, that I really lean on um, anytime I do stuff. Uh, N.T. Wright is the GOAT. Um, great dude, um, a New Testament scholar. Um, he's been influential. He has a uh, commentary series. If you, if you guys are, are fresh to this, some of this lingo, commentary is just a book about a Bible chapter. Get one. Um, these are pretty cheap. You can get one on Amazon for like $8. Um, another person is Esau Macaulay. He's a Christian anthropologist. What he does is read the Bible and then try to speak to how does that impact our culture? 
And last but not least, um, you guys are somewhat familiar with the Bible Project. We watch those really cool cartoon videos that are deep. Um, they also have classroom series, which are like free classes. So I've been watching um, or I've been participating in the Ephesians one for over a year. So that's a word about these reflections. Let me go ahead and jump into reflection number one. Here we go. So reflection one is the band is back together. I want to uh, say this, um, and I'm probably doing some really bad stuff because I'm moving all over the place. Is that cool that I move all over the place, Dad? Bet. All right. Um, so reflection one, the band is back together. I want to say this. Somebody else did Ephesians 1 through 3, so I technically don't even got to go into depth like that. So to summarize it, what I want to do is I actually want to give an example. For this example, my first question to you is, what is your favorite music group or band? You can just yell it out. Commission. Black Star. A groups. You got a group. Oh, man. DC talk. All right, so look, we got some real Christians in here. We got some real Christians in here. I actually didn't come up with the Christian example. Look, I'm going to say this. One of my favorite genres outside of Christian music, outside of Christian music, is R&B. R&B is an amazing genre because it helps to, you know, give our life some background music, some soundtrack, our breakups, our... our Everything. We'll say a word about R&B music later. But I love R&B music. And, you know, it's debatable about which era of R&B is the best. So I say the 60s R&B is the best, right? Who we got in the 60s? Come on, man. Motown? I was looking at y'all. Yep, yep. He ain't give me nothing. Yep. Uh, who, we got, who we got in the 70s? R&B in the 70s. Somebody knows somebody in the 70s. Cool in the game. All right. Yep. Yep. Commodores. Who? Al Green. Groups. Groups. Temptations are still doing the late, late series uh, Temptations. Heart. Okay. Let me just move on to the 80s. 80s. We got any 80s groups? New edition. Come on. Say it. Who? Bell Bear DeVoe. Yep. I'm sorry. I, listen, somebody's saying we're in church right now. Why are we talking? Listen, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Um, Nonetheless, the 90s. The 90s is my favorite time period. I was alive. I was alive in the 90s. And so my favorite group of all times, I was thinking that I was going to have like the music play, but then I thought like I was going to get an email about <laughs> turning the church into a really bad play. My grandma would have had words for me even that I had this conversation. But nonetheless... You already know what it is, T. Boys to men. Boys to men. Boys to men. It's just a powerful group. Let me, let, me just, let me just tell you this. One of the reasons why Boys to Men is such a powerful group, for a number of reasons, but hey, they had number one hits all out the wazoo because they have four-part harmonies. They had that doo-wop, glee club type feel, but mixed it with that new Jack Swain. It gave... It made the heartbreaks that we feel not hurt so bad. It provided us with amazing wedding music and some other music. It provided us with a soundtrack for Mother's Day. I'm going to say some, something about somebody. Somebody who I'm close to didn't know that the song Mama was made by Boys to Men. I'm not going to say who it is. I'm not going to say who it is. That, that, that's it. 
But all that to say this, um, good things don't always last long, right? Um, the boys and men that we knew and grew up with were amazing, but some stuff happened. There were some cracks in that band. There were some ruptures that began to take place. Um, in 2003, what we saw was their bass vocalist, Mike, he left. And during the pandemic, one more member of the group left um, because of differences around um, how COVID was handled. And this reduced the group down to two members. And those voices of the two left were really powerful, but they didn't have the same vibe. They weren't able to replicate the beauty of that four-part harmony. And concert goers that went to concerts at that time to feel the power of that group ultimately left yearning for the day that that broken group would one day be restored, reconciled, and made whole to make that beautiful music again. It's a really corny example, but I think Ephesians 4 or Ephesians 1 through 3 actually has this same yearning, but not for bands, but for us, for the church. Um, this analogy rightly captures God's heart for humanity in the first sections of Ephesians. Ephesians is written by Paul, an apostle. An apostle is just somebody who plants church. And Paul was in prison at this time. We don't know if he was actually writing this just to the church of Ephesus, but we know that he wrote a lot and frequently because our Bible is filled with his epistles. Epistles are just letters. And Paul wrote these epistles to a church divided divided by ethnos or ethnicity, by religious affiliation, by citizenship status, by socioeconomic status, many of the same dividing lines that still grip our church till this day. And Paul says something really powerful in Ephesians 2 verses 15 and 16 that I think really sums up the heart of his theology around this division. He says this, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles is just everybody else who's not a Jew. That's you, me, you, me, you, me, you, me, you, me. That's everybody. And a lot of times we try to make it in Christianity as if we all were part of that initial number. We weren't who has made the two groups one has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Somebody say amen. That's a complex amen because you're saying that's a lot of stuff in that verse. Welcome to Pauline theology. Paul seamlessly weaves poetry, references to Psalms, references to the Torah or the first five books in really dense run-on sentences. Any of my English teachers in here are like, bro, you've got to fix some stuff. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. But for Paul, Jesus' death on the cross is not solely about us getting to go to heaven. I'm going to say that one more time because this, <laughs> this is tough right here. For Paul, Jesus' death on the cross is not solely about us getting to go to heaven or our sins being forgiven. In Ephesians, Paul lays out that the gospel that Jesus enacts through death on the cross is about reconciliation. 
or reuniting man with God, right? So there's no hostility between you and God, but also very much so with man and man, with one another, your household, your workplace, man and man. That's part of the reconciliatory trajectory that Paul is pointing us to. This has some groundbreaking implications. Um, has big implications for how we understand the gospel, how we live it. As understood this way, to preach the gospel is not just to tell somebody something about their sins being forgiven, but it is to show the world through the church an example of communities who display to the world the reconciliation of Christ. N.T. Wright summarizes it this way. He says, Paul's vision is starting small and actual communities in which reconciliation and justice are practiced. And Paul clearly believes that communities like this send a signal to the right, wider world. Um, my wife knows this about me. I love to talk about politics, make prescriptions about what's ailing our institutions. I was at the Meridian Mall the other day, and I didn't see any businesses. And I was like, man, you know what? The Meridian Mall just really needs this. And if downtown didn't close at 5 p.m., then we would get... And my wife loves to, you know, she's great and that she'll go with me there and listen to me, but her heart is about action. Um, she don't want to talk more about stuff, and she know that half the time when I'm talking about this stuff, I don't really plan to do anything about it. Some of y'all really do. You're really convicted about this, and we'll say a word about that. The beautiful thing, though, about what Paul is talking about is Jesus' call is not first to go into our chamber of commerce. And change stuff. That's radical. Jesus' first call is not for us to even go get involved in politics and, and change stuff. That's a big deal. But Jesus' first call, his first call, and I want to put emphasis on first because there's a lot of brothers and sisters, myself included, who are active in those ways. But his first call is for us as a church to lay out the groundwork, at least when it comes to reconciliation. It's for us as a church to first be the vision for all of the world and our numerous colors and our numerous thought processes and our numerous differences. God calls us to first be together. I've got a really interesting example um, of this. I was reading, uh, I was reading a, a article, um, I think it was in the Pulse, and um, it was a conversation um, with two people um, who, uh, one was a parishioner or I think a pastor in the East Lansing church, a very wealthy, predominantly white church in East Lansing. And one was with a black pastor in Lansing and they were meeting together. And the black pastor had told the white pastor, you know, I wanna do this reconciliation work, but there's some big challenges to reconciliation. Um, one of them are big wealth disparities. And the white pastor said, you know, explain that to me. The example that the black pastor gave to the, to the white pastor was, you know, we know that a primary way that wealth is passed on from generation to generation is real estate. Um, and the person gave an example of a East Lansing person um, who had, um, their parents had purchased a house in 1960 for $5,000. But then by the time that that person inherited that house, it was worth $250,000. Um, and the black pastor said, that's amazing for that family. But would you know that in Lansing, it wasn't until 1968 that African-American people could actually move to East Lansing, rather get a loan because of a practice called redlining, right? 
And I don't want to make this that, but the whole beautiful part of that uh, story was that pastor was convicted. The East Lansing pastor was convicted. And they used their $3 million endowment that existed at that church to then invest in black faith-based organizations. Now listen, that's not a perfect example at all. But I cite that example because I think it reflects Paul's Christ-like vision of what the gospel reconciliation is. That is that the primary task of the church is not so much to forcefully enact change in the world, but to first simply be the church and enact reconciliation in our body first. And as that example laid out, there are challenges to doing reconciliatory work, but I like one of the quotes from uh, that story was this, an onlooker, this is not even a faith-based person, he said this about that connection that was made. He said, I think that faith-based groups have a great means to do reconciliation um, in a way that's not politically motivated. It's just really about doing what they think is right. They have a lot more flexibility to get things done now and create foundational peace for the government and others to follow and support in ways that make sense. So I'm gonna go ahead and move on to the second reflection now. I had to do all that kind of exposition because I need you to know this, that when Jesus in Ephesians is calling us to reconciliation, then Ephesians 4 is not just a guide about how to live so you get to heaven, but it's a practical guide for how we live together. So for example, if we go through line by line, Ephesians 4, Paul tells us, how gospel communities talk about one another or talk to one another. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Stop lying, bro. He also reminds us that if the vision is reconciliation, it's urgent that you work through conflict with one another and not allow harsh emotions to govern your actions. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Chill out, bro. It seems simple, but anybody that has been around that one friend or who tends to be that friend, and I, I'm, I'm in this, the Bible is telling us to watch our mouths. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Watch your mouth, bro. Lastly, Paul summarizes the call by simply challenging us to imitate Christ by being self-sacrificial in all things, as that is what it means to be loving, by choosing to pause our own desires, our agendas, our ideas, for those of one another. This is what we mean by the love of Christ. The gospel of rec reconciliation is revolutionary in cities like ours, um, with legacies of, of racism, segregated churches, political division, gender equality, and everything. The gospel challenges men and women not to first go and attack these issues. You can attack these issues, but to first, let's just be the body together first. Let's address the division in our midst first so we can be a beautiful example of what God calls us to. Here's my final point. Look, man, I'm on time, too. Look at that. Here's my final point. Um, we got the 30K and 30-day challenge, and I think Ephesians really is helpful in shaping how we should look um, and think about love the city. 
I want to say this, and this is not to cast dispersion on Love the City Week. I think it's one of the dopest things about our church. Um, but I want us to see Love the City in the right way. Um, and I want to do that by just basically calling a spade a spade, saying what Love the City is and what it is not. Um, Love the City is not the pathway to longstanding, or Love the City the week, rather. Love the City is also a nonprofit, and we can talk more about what that's doing. Some amazing stuff that's happening. Shout out to Dev. But Love the City the week is not about longstanding community change. All right, nobody threw an apple at me. I'm good. But it's not about that. Honestly, if you want to change the economy, make a business that services the community, that specifically aims at under-resourced, marginalized community members. It's probably not going to be a super profitable way in year one, but it's definitely going to be something that the community needs. If you want to change education, <laughs> look, you can go to school and be a teacher. We hiring. You can volunteer at my school, the lunchroom. I'll take you. You can figure out ways to enact policy and go to college again. Get some expertise, because what we know is if you want to make deep systematic change, you have to be engaged, learning the system, and committed to that work for a really long time. Longer than a week. Longer than a year. Longer than four years. Long-lasting change can take up to 10 years to establish. How deeply are you involved? But when we talk about what love the city is, uh, love the city presents an amazing opportunity for the church first. Let's be honest about this. We are in a heat, heated, polarized time. Somebody said it like this. Over the pandemic, we've been screaming at one another. The internet is in part culpable and social media. We find ourselves in places where we're siloed and we're just trying to get an amen from people who think just like us. Our discourse has gotten heated and aggravated at every point. You can't even disagree about a cup anymore without saying, is that a critical race theory cup? Those things have infected the world. But most importantly, and sadly, they've infected us. But the difference between us and the world is that we have the Holy Spirit, amen? And the Holy Spirit is saying that this is a gospel issue. It's not secondary. It's a gospel issue to be committed to being reconciled with one another. That those waves of polarized media takes, they are not to be the rulers in our churches, in our lives. And that we are to be committed to one another, to work through our conflict. You don't got to believe what I believe on political stuff. Just talk to me. You don't got to live where I live. Just talk to me. If somebody says something about me, talk to me. It's important for us to love one another in really practical ways through our differences. And as we think about Love the City Week, come on. As we think about Love the City Week, if we are the church with all of our blessed colors and different thought processes, and then we go out into the streets and serve, then we witness in real and tangible ways. That's better than even just giving somebody a $20 million track. Y'all remember them? 
Somebody usually get it them dollars. You never read the dollar, and then you pull it out, be excited about giving it to the store owner, only to realize it's just a trap. It, it just, it's just a trap. That, that's, that's got its place too. But what's really got its place is that God has called us to be a family, to sing that song of reconciliation. And when we sing that song of reconciliation to one another, it blesses the world. My last thing I'll say, love the city. Loving our city works best when we love one another well. All right. So I'll go ahead and close this out in prayer real quick. Then we got that bumper, and then Devin's going to come up. Lord God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to talk to the church, Lord, and to be able to hear you talk to me um, and for us to talk to each other, Lord. I pray that we take this challenge to talk to each other, Lord, and that if there is any division, any conflict, any problems, any people that we've attempted to just shut out of our lives simply because we don't like what they be saying. Lord God, I pray that we would be convicted and that we would be invested to make amends, especially if these are brothers and sisters of Christ in our immediate location, Lord God. Begin to change our hearts. Soften any calluses, Lord, and let us be the people that you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. To get connected, learn more, and invest financially, go to citylifelansing.com.